are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is brought to you by Poison Oak. It's like Poison Ivy's cousin who lives out west. Remember, leaves of three, let it be! Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm your host, Steve, and Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and each week, I invite a guest who shares with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with the guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, after talking to our guest this week, I started thinking about the word bloom. One thing I was thinking about is how do flowers know when to bloom? And it's a complicated answer. Uh, I I read about this a little bit, and uh, I'll try to summarize here a little bit. It's not um, going to be uh, perfect because, like I said, it's very complicated and very much very flower-dependent and other things dependent. So first, let's just say uh, age is very important for when a flower blooms. Uh, Depending on the plant species, you know, the flower has to reach maturity, or the plant has to reach maturity, before it can flower, so you see certain trees that do not flower for many years because they haven't reached that stage of, stage of maturity yet. Um, also, resources are very important if it's a drought or if there's not the right um, nutrients in the soil. Things like that can prevent a plant from flowering. But if all those things are correct, how does the plant know when to bloom at the right time? And uh, a very simplified process, from my understanding, is that there are some cells in a plant that are photoreceptors. And they are looking for the length of the day to be the right length. And that varies plant to plant. Some plants, uh, I mean, definitely it's often longer than winter because plants don't normally flower in winter. But sometimes it's uh, waiting for it to get really long because there's certain flowers like the daylily that, you know, bloom more in the summer. Um, or there's certain flowers that bloom really early. And so they're looking that for that uh, day to be shorter. There's flowers that uh, bloom in the fall. So they're maybe waiting for a period of longer light and then it's starting to get shorter. But essentially, the plant is looking for a specific length of daytime to trigger it when to bloom. And then that triggers a very complicated biochemical process, which uh, is uh, a bit over my head. But from what I understand, then there is a certain uh, gene that triggers the flowering parts of the plant to to shift what they're doing and start making the flowers as opposed to like the normal plant stuff it has been making uh, there. And that's pretty interesting. I, uh, when they discovered this process, um, scientists had uh, induced mutations on certain genes. And when those uh, genes had mutations, the, f- the plant stopped making flowers and actually just made leaves or other uh, plant parts instead of flowers in those parts. And that's how they figured out that uh, the specific gene or class of genes is responsible for uh, making a flower bloom. So yes, that is the word bloom, um, something that I was thinking about after talking with our guest. And speaking of that guest, let's meet her now. Hi, Jen. Welcome to Rootbound. 
Hello. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Do you have a plant to share with us today? I do. Um, So when you asked if I would be interested in being on the podcast uh, and asked the question about, you know, favorite plant of mine that we could talk about, uh, to be super honest, I am not the best at keeping plants alive unless they're really (laughs) easy to care for. So like all of the popular plants that you've probably already talked about. So I decided to take a different direction. I have a tattoo. Well, I have many tattoos, but this specific tattoo is on my hand and it's of a few California poppies tied up with some lavender. And um, yeah, here, I'll show you. uh, Yeah, the audience cannot see it. (laughs) Oh, very nice. I love love doing visual things on a podcast. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, they're they're like orange and uh, they're, they're, oh, that, that's a very lovely tattoo. Wonderful. Yeah. Maybe, Thank maybe you can you. send yes. a picture of that to me if you, I don't know if you're cool, if you're not cool with that and we don't want to force you to share your tattoos, but oh, no, I'm more show than notes. happy to. Yeah. I figured that, I figured I would do that anyways. So, um, oh, wonderful. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely one of the kind of people that like some of my tattoos have meaning and some of them I just get because they're pretty. Um, Mm -hmm. But a few months ago on a road trip from Seattle to Palm Springs, we actually accidentally drove through the California super bloom, which Ah. if you are not familiar with the California super bloom, it is just a very short blip in time, only a few months, and it doesn't happen every year, but it is just wildflowers as far as the eye can see. and in fact, so intense that there were videos and photos taken from space of the California super bloom. Yeah. So it was just this beautiful, happy accident that like on our way to Palm Springs and it would, we think we were like six hours into our trip and we turned off of I-5 and onto this two-lane highway to kind of skirt around Los Angeles on our way to Palm Springs. And at some point out of nowhere, just the most beautiful, like lush orange expanses surrounded us. And um, unfortunately, we didn't have time to stop on the way to Palm Springs. But luckily, we had to drive back. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... um, you know, we we had our vacation in Palm Springs, lots of sun and and uh, you know, sun and fun, and then and apple spritzes, and then we packed up our bags <laughs> and headed back to Seattle. And um, you know, driving through this place where you know it's a two lane highway, and just either side of you is just orange California poppies and other, you know, beautiful wildflowers. It was such an amazing experience. And the co- the contrast of the desert between, you know, while you're driving through, it's on our way back, it was like, there's all these Joshua trees and Joshua trees are super hardy. I'm, I'm talking about many plants now, apparently. <laughs> That's cool. That's totally um, fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's what this podcast is, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, Joshua trees are like so hardy and can kind of survive whatever the desert throws at it. And then this contrast of just fields of California poppies in what, you know, what is called a super bloom, but it doesn't happen every year. Like the 
um, everything has to be like perfectly aligned, like the right amount of snow and or rain, the right fluctuating temperatures. Um, and, you know, it just so happens that this year's California super bloom was most likely helped along because of the droughts from prior years helping mm. the kind of these delicate flowers and other native plants survive due to like a reduction in the invasive grasses. So oh. really, I mean, the last time that this happened was in 2019. So it doesn't happen every year. And it was this beautiful moment of just like, okay, I've never seen anything like this. I clearly loved California poppies because I have it tattooed on my hand and I think it's really pretty, but it just, it was really, it was a really beautiful experience that kind of assigned this new meaning to this tattoo that I see every day on my hand. And um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely like breathtaking. Fascinating. Okay. That answers a question I had this whole time. So you got, you had the tattoo <laughs> before you saw the flowers. Yeah. I've had the tattoo for, Oh gosh, a few years now at least. And and so let's let's dig into that a little bit. Is this one that you decided just because you thought it looked pretty, or did you? How did you decide? I mean, those two flowers are flowers that don't normally exist in the same space, a California poppy and lavender necessarily. Um, what made you? What was your motivation to get that tattoo with those two flowers? I found a drawing of these flowers bundled together and I went to my tattoo artist Heidi and I said, hey, can you draw something like this and tattoo it on my body because it's beautiful. And that was it. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's cool. I'd say, yeah, very interesting. You know, I'm, I, I don't have any tattoos. I'm not like anti-tattoos. It's just the motivation mm -hmm. is something I'm always curious about because it's not, I don't know why, I, I, but, but yeah, so I thank you for answering that because it's like, yeah. interesting to like hear about people's different stories for why they get tattoos mm -hmm. probably could do a whole episode i see you have italy next to those is that what that is oh yeah i have italy <laughs> so my dad grew up in trieste which is where oh, the little heart cool. is um yeah i've got a lot of i've got <laughs> i think gosh we um on my podcast making conversation there was one episode that we did that was all about um tattoos and uh, tattoo artists that we highlighted a lot of non-male tattoo artists and talking about the history and all of that. And I think I counted at the end of the episode because my guest asked me how many I had and I had never counted before. I I want to say it was like 65 or something Wow. Like so yeah, That's I've got quite a few. That's super fascinating. Um, I think most people who I know who have tattoos, even if they're a number, know the number. And it's mm -hmm. interesting. I mean, what do you th what do you think that says about you that you weren't keeping count? I think that's super interesting. I mean, I think also once you get to a point, you just kind of stop keeping count. Okay, I, sure. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's probably different for everybody, but um, I I collect tattoos for a lot of different reasons. You know, like I said, some are just pretty. Some do have meaning and like connect to travel or a person or, you know, like um, I have a portrait of one of my cats, Margaret Yang, who passed away a couple of years ago on my leg. Mm. So it's they kind of range in in reasons. But yeah, 
that I just well, and the California poppy is so yeah, it, it has the reason cool. now. It's like retrospective yes. reason, or it's like a time exactly. travel tattoo. I know. I was like, ooh, would my is my like future self? Did my future self go? Okay, go back and just put this in front of put this image in front of Jen so that she can get this tattoo that maybe didn't have a meaning and then will eventually. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this. I don't know what you have, if you have any fun facts or dazzling details or other interesting things. I, I mean, I know what a poppy is, but I feel like California mm -hmm. poppies are not the most well-known poppy. Well, yeah, what, what, what can you tell us about this flower? Um, well, it is the state flower of California. Mm -hmm. So there you go. <laughs> I believe mm -hmm. it was signed into law in 1904, if I remember correctly. Um, and the native habitat obviously includes California, but does extend up to Oregon and Washington. And I'm in Seattle, oh, so lucky us. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So after, I mean, after this, it's definitely one of those. I have a couple of spots around the house that don't have any sort of uh, greenery growing. And I was going to next year throw some, throw some seeds in there and hope for the best. Cool. My my aunt was just telling me she has like apparently she lives in California, and she has a, a like all native plant yard front yard, and she mm -hmm. had kind of her own mini super bloom in her yard this this year because I guess I don't know the the I don't know how the plants talk to each other and say like this is the year <laughs> you know it's really fascinating mm -hmm. how that kind of works um, yeah yeah I I think again it just the conditions have to be right and mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really interesting i'm i'm totally one of those people that like especially on road trips uh where if i see something i will like dive into google and do all this research and so after we had been within the super bloom i was like this can't happen every year because yeah i mean i had heard about it just as we were leaving palm springs like i hadn't even heard i hadn't even heard about it before that and it was like notifications on my phone from cnn that's like the california super bloom that never happens here's some photos from space and it was like what i never heard of it and we just randomly had the luck to drive through it it was so it cool. was very cool mm -hmm. yeah it's also really interesting of like you know the desert and and having I used to live in actually 29 Palms, California. Is that the road that you went through when you were oh, going out there? Um, uh, or maybe we, not quite. We didn't pass through 29 Palms, but I've definitely been in that area before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that area. Um, and it's really interesting just uh, how much life there is in the desert and all this kind of dormant life too and these plants that are kind of just waiting like for that right opportunity and how long these dormant seeds can like chill mm -hmm. for for a long time. I know. Already. It's, it's uh, amazing. Really fascinating. Um, well, yeah, what, what else? Do you have anything else on your, on your notes there about the California poppy? No, that I, that was pretty much all I had for you. Thank you for sharing about the California yeah, poppy with me. Of course. What's your plan? Okay. This is, this is like... I, I'm starting to repeat myself on these episodes a lot, <laughs> but you know. Oh, it's okay. I, I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some ways, I think sometimes it's like good broadcasting to repeat yourself a lot, so people yeah, are you know yeah. rem re remembering things. But you know, it's it's a challenge to come up with a new plant every week, and it's part of like the challenge for me to like do this podcast and like learn more about plants. And sometimes I'm like, sometimes I have the plant that's just perfect 
for what the guest is talking about and goes hand in hand. And this is not one of those days. This is just a plant I chose because I can see it from my window. It grows across the street from my, my house. And uh, it's one of the trees that I, you know, I feel like we're often, oh, well, I talked about this in a few episodes ago, uh, this concept called um, plant awareness disparity. And it's mm-hmm. how most people just kind of ignore plants. They just be kind of come part of the background and we don't really like pay attention to their like unique individuality and like uh, treat them as a life form as, as equal as any other like squirrel or cat or whatever. But they are, you know, they're this, they're, and so mm-hmm. these trees, you know, until I started doing this podcast and getting more and more into plants, I kind of just like, you know, it's just something you walk by on the street, but um, they are a tree called the Catalpas, which is an interesting name. Um, it it uh it comes from uh, Google's a little bit unclear. It is it is a, a indigenous American word. Whether it's Muscogee or Cherokee, I saw about different references, but um, it it I guess is some kind of reference to the I think the shape of the flowers. But don't quote me on that. But it's I I do like it when a native plant keeps its native name. There's so many times that we have plants that get stuck with European oh, names, yeah. you know? And oh, so yeah. it is a nice example of that, of, of a plant kind of keeping its uh, indigenous name and being known as that, which is cool. Oh, wow. I looked it up. It's very mm-hmm. beautiful. That's a that's a very cool flower too. Oh my goodness. Yeah, they, they have three super cool aspects. I mean, probably more, but the leaves are really unique for a tree. They're these big kind of like spade, almost heart-shaped leaves. And they're they're pretty big for that shape i feel like you know the big leaf trees are kind of like often the oaks um or maybe maples but like you'll get some smaller leaves with shapes like this but they're really big they're quite they're surprisingly big leaves for a tree Mm -hmm. um two is they are sometimes called uh either the um bean tree or the cigar tree because they're their their fruit their seed pod is this very long bean and when you're looking at the tree when those are are like kind of in the fall when they're drying out, like it has this like vertical kind of like tinsel effect of these long brown bean-like things. Uh, they are not edible, just to say that. So they're not truly beans, but that's how the, how the, the seeds. <laughs> Please the seeds. no one go out there and try and eat these. Yeah. That's yeah, really yeah, bad. Don't, don't <laughs> um, and then the third thing is the flowers, which um, are, are stunning and, and quite big for a tree. Like a lot of trees don't have big flowers. Like weirdly trees tend to have little tiny flowers or like weird different kind of flowers that you don't think of as flowers. But these really, you know, and you're looking at the pictures, they really cover the whole tree. They're these big white flowers mm-hmm. that almost look almost orchid-like. They're not in that family, but they kind of have a little bit of that look, maybe trumpet-like, uh, white with a little bit of an interesting pattern around the opening. And they really just kind of explode all at once look really beautiful and it's just one of those trees that when the flowers fall they make this nice like white carpet underneath them um and so they're a super cool tree and a tree that um that i never paid too much attention to um but they are i think their history is super fascinating so um they are most commonly now a street tree which is its whole other thing of like uh um urban forestry which is like a whole thing right and they're a great mm-hmm. street tree i think primarily because they they one they grow pretty fast which is nice you know you plant an oak and you gotta wait a long time for that oak to be like big enough to like give you shade but these these grow pretty pretty quick um they have pretty flowers which people love in in cities right so that's a pretty a pretty cool thing um but i think they're um i think they started to first become popular as being a cultivated plant because of the railroad expansion in the United States. Because they grow so fast, 
and the wood is apparently quite weather resistant, they were used a lot for railroad ties. And so they'd be planted in areas around where the railroad was going to go through. So they would have access to railroad ties when they're building the railroads. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, uh, they're also apparently sometimes called the caterpillar tree, which is interesting. And that's because they're the sole host of a moth called the Caltalpa sphinx moth. And certain times, certain trees will just be covered with caterpillars eating the leaves. And I guess it doesn't really damage the tree. They they eat them kind of late enough in the year where it doesn't really hurt the tree. Um, but uh, so that's sometimes you can just see them super covered in uh, uh Caterpillars, and and because of that, they're also like in certain places. I think this might be more the southern Catalpa than the northern Catalpa, which is what I have. Mm-hmm. They are um, well regarded by fishermen because the, the the caterpillars are like supposed to be the best bait. And if you know your tree that has like people would like guard the like location of the best caterpillar tree, <laughs> or sometimes plant them near the best fishing sites so that they have access to like high quality bait when they go fishing. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, where are you? So are you near a railway then? Or you? Well, you know, that's, that is interesting, actually. I, I always suspected that my neighborhood was built because of a railway. It's like kind of a bunch of houses that are kind of like, at the time would have been kind of like lower income houses built in track style for like, mm-hmm. uh, for like workers. But <sighs> I think these were planted more modern, and they're not that old, so I think they were planted as a neighborhood tree, um, Got it. which is pretty common. Um, okay, but I should go look for some bigger ones because they are they are around, um, kind of just l- like in areas that are like less clearly planted around here too, and so that would be interesting to see. But also, I, I live in I live in like Alexandria, Virginia, near DC. It's pretty urban, and I feel like you'd probably be more like finding ones that were planted due to like the railroads, kind of in a more remote area. That's just complete speculation. Mm. But got it. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, looking here at my notes, do, 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 do. Okay. Maybe the last thing is, and this is, well, there is something about specifically about Catalpas, but I just want to like highlight a book I found when I was searching for this that I found to be quite, quite lovely. Um, let me pull it up here. I was, I was researching, uh, one of the places I go to research a lot, um, is, uh, archive.org which, you know, that's like the site where they like archive the whole internet, but they also have a whole lot of old books on there and a lot of books that you like won't be in print. They have scanned copies and uh, really quite searchable. And I found this book, which I wish you would have known earlier because I, I, I did a whole like intro to an episode a while back about trees that that have names, like famous trees. And it was a little bit hard to find, but this is a book published in 1922 uh, called Historic American Trees. And it's all about specific trees that like have specific stories, not like an oak, but like a, like a specific oak or a specific oh, maple, cool. which is pretty cool. That's and awesome. I'll just read a, a quick line of the foreword, which is good. It says, old trees in their living state are treasures that money cannot buy, wrote Walter Savage Landor. Treasures indeed, though too seldom appreciated, which I feel is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the section on Catalpas, there's only one section on Catalpas here, but I'll I'll read this part just maybe in its entirety, just to, uh, and I'll, I'll credit the author, Catherine Stanley Nich- Nicholson, who wrote this in 1922. Um, but this is called uh, about the Stockton Catalpas, which this says, a f- The fine avenue of Catalpas shading the lawn of the inn at Princeton, New Jersey, are a memorial to Richard Stockton, the well-known signer of the Declaration of Independence, who is thought to have brought the trees from England in 1762. I don't think that's true because they're American trees, but <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the ground... <laughs> 
The grounds were part of Stockton's estate, Morvern. His old house, still standing, was a favorite meeting place for the patriots of those days. For more than 100 years, says John Freeling Hoisen Hagerman in this history of Princeton and his institutions, these ancient witnesses have borne testimony testimony to the tastes and unselfish unselfish instincts of this noble man, this long row of catalpas in front of Morvin can only be viewed as a sacred memorial to the signer of the declaration. Uh, the fourth day of July is a great day to Mr. Stockton's calendar, as it is to our, uh, as it is in that of our country. And these catalpas, with their undeviating certain, cert, with their undeviating certainty of the seasons, put on their pure white blooming costume every fourth of July. And for this reason, they are have been called very fitly in this country the Independence Tree. Now, that's a really interesting thing i think they bloom a little earlier than the fourth of july maybe in princeton they bloom around the fourth of july but that that or maybe it's a it's a uh maybe it's a climate change thing and they bloom earlier yeah i was gonna say Uh, (laughs) um, there are some things that have been happening since then that could have affected that yeah (laughs) and this is this is the only reference i've had to them being called the independence tree and maybe we just don't call it that anymore because they're not blooming around fourth of july anymore i don't know People, correct me if I'm wrong. If you have audience, if you have catalpas blooming at the Fourth of July, I'd love to. I'd love to see a picture because yeah, mine are well done. Like what? Like I'm further south than that, but it was like over a month ago that they bloomed and have mm-hmm. fallen off and everything. Um, but I was like, oh, that's super interesting. These trees that were planted, you know, in 1762. I went to go look them up. Now that that's there's a museum now called Morvern, which is this guy John Richards guy Richard Stockton's old house. Um, but the catalpas were replanted in 1999. I think they they had lived their course and so that's not the original trees but they replanted them in the same place which is which is uh interesting yeah and i think because it's such a fast-growing tree they're not quite as long-lived as maybe something like an oak um mm-hmm. but yeah you can you can go see where these these uh famous historic american catalpas were and their their offspring are are the new versions of them still stand and so i thought that was interesting interesting book i'm going to read more of this book uh and learn some more historic trees. And I'm curious, when this book was published in 1922, I wonder like what percentage of the trees in this book are still around because, uh, oh, you know, yeah. some, you know, it's interesting because trees can live a long time, but also the book was published a good while ago and some of those trees might've been already pretty old. So, um, yeah. pretty fascinating though. I mean, you can do a whole episode on the historic trees in there and like researching if they're still there or not. Totally. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to find the closest one to me in this book and see if I can find it. Um, that, yeah, that, that would be pretty interesting. I guess there's probably some around DC that I could, that mm-hmm. I could find. Oh yeah, for sure. And then you yeah. can re- record an episode talking about the tree while sitting under the tree. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, mark that audience. That's, that's a plan for the future. Um, Perfect. Well, uh, Jen, thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invite and, um, yeah, everybody go go out and hug a tree. Indeed, and keep your eye out for the super bloom. Yes. Here's a few more notable trees from that book, Historic American Trees. There is an oak tree in Athens, Georgia that owns itself. Yes, apparently the uh, man who planted it, or at least it was on his property, loved the tree so much that he left the tree to itself in his will, and still to this day, that tree is there and uh, is known as the tree that owns itself. Now, legally, I don't know if that's dubious or not, but it's an interesting story and it's made its appearance in the book. Historic American Trees. Another one uh, that I read about, which is quite interesting, you remember on the episode we talked about the Franklin tree, and that's actually, I mean, there's not 
it's not a single tree, but the Franklin tree as a species is very interesting in and of itself. Uh, that is not written in this book, but just reminding you, the audience, to go back and listen to the Franklin tree episode. But in the Franklin tree episode, we, we also learned about a man named John Bartram, who was known as the father of American botany. And at Bartram Gardens, his garden in Philadelphia, he had a very curious oak tree that uh, was said to have a variable leaf. So, you know, oak trees always have the same shape leaves, but this oak tree had she- had different shape leaves on the same tree, and everyone was trying to get, like, seeds from him, you know, back in uh, Europe, trying to get him to send acorns so they could grow their own version of this tree. And it turns out that tree is, is known as Quercus heterophylla, and it is a hybrid between the willow oak and the red oak, and it can happen in the wild, and John Bartram apparently found it and cultivated it at his land, and I'm not sure if that exact tree that they were talking about still exists, but the uh, species Quercus heterophylla, which is a hybrid, is is known today, and I thought that was super interesting. And then finally, uh, there is a pear tree known as the Indicott pear uh, that is named after the guy. I think his name was John Indicott. Um, it is America's oldest cultivated fruit tree. It is located it is located in Danversport, Massachusetts, and the book says that it was known for bearing more fruits than the whole town can eat. However, I did read an article on Atlas Obscura about the Indicott pear tree, and it also said that the uh, pears are uh, pretty hard and small and maybe more useful for making uh, pies and tarts and things like that. But yeah, that tree apparently is still alive today. It's almost 400 years old, um, which is very cool and very old for a pear tree. Uh, anyway, pretty interesting book I found uh, on archive.org. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about historic uh, American trees. Pretty interesting stuff. And with that, I will end the episode. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Jen Joyce. Jen is the head of marketing for Making, an app for makers, crafters, and artists. And she is also the host of the Making Conversation podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. I will also leave links to that stuff in the show notes. If you like Rootbound and you want to help the show keep going, you can visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support and learn how you can support the show, including leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. Rootbound is hosted by fan of historic trees, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, you could take a journey to the Californian desert and hope that you're lucky enough to arrive during a super bloom. Let me do it again. Rootbound is brought to you by Poison Oak. It's like Poison Ivy's cousin who lives out west. Remember. <laughs> I'll do that. Sorry. That, the Poison Ivy's cousin who lives out west. He kills me. I think about that forever. <laughs>